Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff, your business law and personal injury attorney here in Central Florida. And this is Let's Get Up to Business, our podcast turned Facebook live show during the coronavirus. Joining me today is David Shar, who comes to us on his birthday. So we will not uh, we will not sing to him, but we'll have it going. He's going to talk to us about avoiding burnout during especially during the uh, coronavirus times like this. So before I let him give us all of his great information. I want to post our uh, YouTube over here. We've got, I think, 65, 68 subscribers trying to hit that 100 mark so we can get the custom branded URL. And then I can stop bothering everybody to subscribe to our YouTube page. So Mark will drop the comments. But if you're here and enjoying the videos, head on over there and uh, click a button to subscribe. And with that, David, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. There's nowhere else I'd rather be on my birthday. And I'm not just saying that. This way, I could be locked away from my kids for an hour. That was... <laughs> oh, there you go. A little, little safety measure. We'll, we'll make sure you feel that way by the end of this chat, too, though. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into the conversation, you know, tell everybody a little bit about your background. Yeah, so um, what I do is I help organizations build burnout-proof cultures, um, help people find meaning in their work. Uh, you know, my life mission uh, that I would that I would do for free um, if I could if I could still pay the bill somehow uh, is to help change the meaning of work. Um, people generally sort of clock into work and out of life instead of finding meaning in what they do. Uh, so that's really what I help people do. And the way I got there is this really bizarre route that started uh, in a um, small ice cream parlor in Baltimore City. Uh, we could definitely talk about that, but but uh, my experience is they're working mostly with underprivileged inner city kids who were finding meaning in their work. While I knew so many, so many of my close friends were lawyers and doctors and accountants and things like that that dreaded going to work on Monday. Um, that sort of set me down this path. So we know the same people. That's what I'm uh, taking away <laughs> from this. The uh, yeah. lawyer, lawyers everywhere tend to hate their jobs. Yeah, <laughs> pretty common. Unfortunately, common. Yeah. So if we have anybody listening or watching who knows that they need help building that burnout proof culture, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah. So to have a um, start a conversation, LinkedIn is a great spot. Um, LinkedIn.com slash IN slash David Shar. Just look up David Shar S-H-A-R on LinkedIn or go directly to my website, IlluminatePMC.com. And that'll give you a variety of ways, uh, my direct line, my email, all that to uh, reach out to me. Perfect. And we'll make sure Mark drops those in the comments. I don't see the, uh, the YouTube stuff in there either, Mark. So if you can get both of those, that would be wonderful. So uh, I guess the first question I have is what, what do we mean when we're talking about a burnout free culture? Yeah. So there's, there's two aspects to that. What do we mean by burnout? And then what does, what does it mean a burnout free culture? Because um, so, so I can start with the second part, which is um we typically work on burnout, on burnout prevention, on burnout um, uh, sort of recovery. Um, when, when we talk about burnout, so often we're talking about resilience, about teaching people uh, how to take the abuse better, right? <laughs> and um, that's not typically my approach. Um, so resiliency is, is super important. Um, and certain individuals are going to be better at, at overcoming obstacles and keeping a positive mindset and things like that. But really, my angle is to go in and figure out 
what in the system is is broken what in the system is causing people to feel so abused that they are becoming burnt out um and that's and that's a different approach and and it's a a very important approach because if you can fix those things then it doesn't matter how naturally resilient somebody is it doesn't it doesn't matter who's coming or going in your company people will be able to um I think I lost you there for a second, David. Let's see if this kicks back in. Sorry, I hear you as a robot. Okay, yeah. No, no problem. Am I back? So, yeah, you're back. So cut out for a little bit. Sorry. So, so right. So when you're dealing with burnout and you get it at the cultural level, you start changing the norms of the company. You start changing um, the actual policies of the company to um reduce uh any risk of of burning your people out and and these are often very very small changes uh you can really impact the company going forward um so w when we're talking about burnout is there a is there a like black letter law for burnout or is that more of a feeling of the employees like is it you know people a certain turnover rate over a certain amount of time that reflects burnout or, or how do we how do we know that people are burned out yeah, so my phone starts ringing when people are um, seeing high turnover. That's a key indicator. Okay. Um, other things uh, that that draw this attention to business owners and managers is uh, when they see a lot of interpersonal conflict, um, when they see a lot of underperformance. It's interesting because so you're a lawyer within within law within large law firms smaller law firms you see very high turnover um lawyers burning out and getting the hell out right and you see this with teachers you see this with uh medical professionals larger law firms actually have relatively small uh tur low turnover rates of their lawyers um but what what ends up happening when you dig in a little deeper is the burnout is there and it's actually more dangerous because instead of leaving, people are, are there trying to cope with this burnout or trying to work through this burnout. And then you see things like alcoholism, drug dependency. I can't even tell you how many um, uh, suspended or, or disbarred lawyers I know who were disbarred for DUIs and things. Um, you see so many um, uh, emotional and um, psychological and, and physical ailments among people who are trying to stick it through because the money's there and that's, and that's keeping them in their seat, right. but they're so burned out. Um, so yeah, those are, those are some of the, uh, of the indicators, people who aren't performing um, up to par at, at, at a systemic um, uh, sort, of, sort of framework. Um, people turning over and a lot of interpersonal conflict would be some of the key indicators. Gotcha. All right. So, and I, I look, every business is going to be different. And the, the more I get into doing business stuff and the more we do business law and see other businesses, I'm always amazed by there's a million different ways to run a business correctly and probably, you know, a billion different ways to run one incorrectly. So <laughs> the solution for the, for this is going to be different for everybody, but what are some of those, you know, common things that business owners can do to help, you know, lessen burnout or prevent it from happening or keep their employees more engaged? Yeah, so speaking to that, um, to that point that every business is different, uh, burnout prevention actually starts at selection. 
Um, when we are when we are hiring employees, that's where it starts. Because if somebody is the right fit, uh, they're going to be much less likely to burn out. When you bring somebody in and their values don't match the the corporate values, and by the way, if if you are a business owner and you don't have an idea of what your corporate values are, that's a bad sign as well. Um, it's really important to understand your mission, your vision, your values. And they always say the, the uh, proverbial, don't write the, the uh, values on the wall. You have to live them. Um, and, that, and that's so true. But you need to know what those values are and what you're looking for um, in your employees from the moment you, before you ever even extend a job offer to somebody, before you even start the, um, the selection process. Um, that's, that's number one. Um, number two is then be true to those values. And Which way, just hold, hold um, on before we jump, before we yeah. jump to the next one. Um, and that's sure. one of the things, you know, we talk to people a lot. You're not just looking for somebody who's a good fit for your company. You should be looking for somebody who your company is a good fit for them as well from exactly what you're talking about. Right. I mean, you could have the ideal candidate, but you're not right for them. They're not going to be right for you because they're not going to be happy and stay. Yeah, I, I get into uh, these debates a little too regularly. There's a couple um, thought leaders on LinkedIn who their entire thing is helping people figure out how to work the system um, in order to get a job. Right. So candidates, how do you interview well and things like that? And there is there is um, an aspect of that where you need to interview well, et cetera. But the problem is um, as more and more candidates learn how to work the system just to get into the, to the front door to get the job, they're not, the right approach is that they should be interviewing you as you are interviewing them. Um, and, and to really fi figure out who's right for the, who's right for the job. And so selection is absolutely critical. Which is, is interesting because, I mean, it's a lot like dating. You get people that, you know, put on a happy face and are somebody else for the interview. And then you get the job or you get the relationship and you find out that, you know, you're totally not what the person thought they were. And it doesn't work out well for anybody. So right. really, uh, you know, at the point that I guess obviously it's different now with 30 something million people looking for a job. But for the most part, like you want to be you and find the job that's right for you because you'll be right for that job and it'll be a better fit on both sides. Right, right. And, and the other thing is, um, importantly, and especially within um, the current frame that we're that we're in um, after George Floyd's death and and the conversation that the country is having having right now, um, it, diversity is important, and uh, it's important not just for society, et cetera, but it's also important for um, for your bottom line. Um, nothing is more uh, um, evident of that than Corona, right? Our entire business structures changed. Um, whatever you thought you were doing, you're doing it differently now because of coronavirus. Uh, I don't care what um, sort of profession you're in. Um, the part of the reason why you want a diverse workforce is so that it's not just this homogenous hive mind, but that you are seeing different opportunities and able to pivot easily because you have different ways of thinking. Um, and oftentimes when we look at diversity, we drop the inclusion part. And so we were like, oh, I need people that don't look like other people in, in my business. And it's like, no, no, no. You need people who don't think like other people in your business. And then when they get in there, you need to hear their voices. You need to give them a voice and celebrate their voice so that you have 
dialogue and debate and 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 uh and different avenues to go down as the world is constantly changing the business world is constantly changing and so and so while you look for people who have who share your core values you don't necessarily want people who think or um or approach everything the exact way that you do or that that you would yeah it's uh it's you know it's interesting because we talk about not just finding the right person, but putting them in the right seat. And so a lot of times you have to have people that think differently in different seats just because the, the job calls for it. I mean, if you've got somebody who's mm -hmm. just doing really rote data entry, you don't want a super creative person in there. They're not going to be a good fit. They're going to hate it. But at right. the same time, you know, if you've got, if you're, if you're hiring a graphic designer, you want them to have the creativity that, you know, you may not want in another spot. Right. And you, and you need to know what each of those spots requires because um, so often the way, especially smaller business owners hire, and I've seen this even in large corporations, uh, they might have a very thorough selection process, but then when you get down to the bottom of it, um, they then hand a structured interview sheet to their frontline manager and the frontline manager takes it, crumples it up and says, I know, I know how to select somebody. I'm a great judge of character. And so many small business owners and, and medium-sized business owners they talk to all take this approach. I'm a great judge of character. So then they just do this unstructured interview. But what do they keep finding? They keep finding people who are charismatic, people who are like them, people, people who may or may not have the conscientiousness in, uh, uh, necessary to be a good accountant, right? So why do you need a conscientious, uh, 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 charismatic accountant, right? I don't need my accountant to be able to, you know, make me laugh. I need them to check out the numbers and know what he's doing and, and be really uh, specific with them. So that, that um, unstructured interview was always scary for me. And, and I think it's really important to understand what you're looking for before you ever bring somebody in to begin with. And if you put the right people in the seats, as you said, then you're not, you're not gonna, um, people are gonna be less likely to burn out because they feel like they fit. They feel like they're adding something to the organization and they, and they're not becoming, uh, emotionally exhausted by being overtaxed with uh, burdens that are standing in the way of them doing that work. Makes a lot of sense. All right. So, um, you know, we want to get, we want to have people feel like they're being heard and actually being heard. What, what does that, can we go a little bit more detail into that? Like, what does that look like? What are some of the ways that businesses can do or things they can implement to make sure that they're getting that, you know, diverse workforce, but also actually listening to everybody? Yeah, so people need a voice, and a lot of times um, business owners are are scared to uh, give up that um, their own decision making authority or their own processes and allow people to run with things. And the truth is that that now we're in a we're in a moment of time where technology, uh, you know, it's not that I need you to give me all the answers. You're the expert because you have all the answers. The expert's the one who has the best questions, right? Because Siri on my phone has all the best answers. You know, I could get I could get most of my information right from there. So um, the business owners and managers they need to stop clinging on to thinking that there's only one right way to do something, and instead they need to empower people. So I've always had a policy where it doesn't matter if I'm 99.9 percent .9 sure that I know exactly where we're going, what how we're going to make this decision. I turn to my people and ask them. 
you know, what, what do you think? What are your thoughts? And I keep an open mind. And, the, and whether I go in that direction or the direction where I had already planned on going, it almost doesn't matter as long as I make them feel heard and explain the decision-making process. They, they need a role in it. One of the ways that we give um, employees a voice is we go in and larger companies, mid to large companies, they always do these uh, annual um, uh, engagement surveys and, and uh, different things like that, right? And so they go in and, and give those surveys. When I come in, because my entire role is change management. If you're bringing me into an organization, I'm changing something and I can't change anything if I don't understand the current uh, the current um, uh, climate. And um, business owners often think that they know the current climate, but they're too close to it. They're too in it to really understand the current climate. They only can understand their perspective on it. So I'll go in and I will uh, survey people. I'll interview people. I'll focus group people. One of the chief mistakes we make is that when you go out and 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 um, uh, try to get answers from somebody, you survey uh, your employees. If you then look at that survey and say, uh-huh, 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 and then put it in the trash bin, you have done more damage than if you never talked to them in the first place, if you never reached out to them in the first place. You should never have a survey, which is, should the survey should always, always, always be step one, and step two should never be missing. Step two should be a memo, a um, all staff meeting, um, some way that you get out the word, Here's we heard you. Here's what we heard from you and list all the things that the, and it's not everything, you know, Betty in accounting is pissed off that you took the, the decaf coffee, whatever, Betty, you know, like, but we need to think about what are the big messages that we heard? What do we hear from people generally, right? That all needs to make it into this memo. Here are the themes. Um, and here's what we're doing about them. You do that. And now you've got an empowered culture. You have people who feel like they have a voice. See, it's interesting you mentioned that because like you would think doing the survey would be the harder change, right. but I guess actually doing something with the survey that you've already sent out becomes the, the bigger change for a lot of businesses. Right. So in, in change management, you deal with something called reactivity. Anything that you do, um, any process is going to have a reaction on in and, in and of itself, right? Before you ever come in with the interventions, the process of discovery will already get certain reactions. And when you reach out to somebody with a survey or an interview, there is already an expectation that you are going to do something constructive with this. Um, and sometimes I face the expectation that nothing will be done by it, um, with it. And that's typically because the organization has had opportunities where they've reached out to people and surveyed and things and not done something about it. And I know that that's happened. As soon as I start getting back surveys and see that I'm getting like a 10, 20% response rate, if I'm getting a 10 or 20% response rate, I know that the trust has been burned and needs to be built back up. Now it makes a lot of sense. Okay. So, I mean, and a lot of these seem like, relatively small changes. I mean, we're not saying give everybody a $10,000 raise. We're not saying give everybody an assistant. I mean, the ability of, of actually listening to people, I mean, that should be, you know, almost free or, or at least certainly worth the opportunity cost. Right. It, it, I, I always find it interesting, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, 
Maslow talks about this hierarchy of needs that we go from physiological needs. We need basically a work that means a paycheck, right? Um, and then we go to safety needs. That's OSHA. That's, uh, you know, the safe, uh, social safety net in general, et cetera. And we basically have that in most, most of our employees have both of those things. And then you start getting into, you know, um, relationship needs and self-esteem needs and self-actualization. And it seems like organizations will continue to throw money at those bottom two rungs of the pyramid, right? Because that's easy. It's a, it's it's cutting a check. It's expensive, but it's easy. Um, the truth is, though, that those stop working. And what what really need what really needs to be done is this more intrinsic, this deeper motivational type of stuff. And that takes work, and it takes authenticity. Um, and it takes vulnerability from leadership. Um, and that and that is scary. That is scary for a lot of people. And so um, when I go in, I always have my kid gloves on because change is scary for everyone, um, both in management and in the front lines. Um, even, even when that change is designed to help everyone, it, it, it needs to be taken slowly, but you are absolutely right that they are such small changes that have this butterfly effect that, that, um, uh, drastically improve, uh, things that work. So I know you were talking about, you know, the larger the law firm, the, the less turnover, but the more aggravation. So what, what size business do you find tends to have the most of these problems? So I do a lot of work with small to medium sized businesses. Um, okay. They have they have very uh, interesting problems because um, in those businesses, oftentimes the owner is still there as owner, and um, they are. When you talk about vulnerability, this is their organization, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I'm supposed to trust so and so, but if I do, this is my future. This is my livelihood. Everything could come crashing into the ground. Um, so there's, um, it's also your baby. You grew this thing from the ground up and now somebody's saying, you know, you got to start relinquishing some control. And in reality, that is for the best for the business owner and it needs to be done right. So, um, it's not about, it's not about blind trust. Um, first of all, when, when business owners tell me that they can't, um, trust so-and-so, I'm I'm always I'm always confused when there's this lack of trust. I'm like, wait, but you hired them, and you've already right. told me you're a great judge of character. You know, you've trained them. You're you're motivating them, but you can't trust them. Something along the line went wrong, and oftentimes something along the line did go wrong. It's not they might have people that they can't trust because of their selection process, because of their training and development process. There's all these strings to pull to figure out. Um, and they're and they're so interconnected. When I tell people that that I specialize in burnout, they don't realize when I go in, it so much of my work is selection, training and development, um, performance management, because these are all interconnected. It's one business and and each individual is an individual person and, and this all plays into it. Um, so yeah, so those are those are the challenges that you see in the smaller businesses and the larger businesses, it's major backstabbing and trust among management that's trying to um, climb the corporate ladder. And that's, that can be equally uh, scary because it's almost like people will do, um, they will do things that damage the business as long as it promotes their career. They're not looking for right. 
and their um, bottom line, they're looking for what makes them look good in the moment. So it sounds like the smaller the business, the more unintentional the problems are. The larger mm-hmm. the business, the more it's people kind of intentionally making a problem. Yeah, that's really well said. It, but uh, at, at every level um, and whatever the size of the organization, one thing that I constantly find is insecurity. Um, people are scared, you know, and they're scared to trust each other. Um, they're scared of their own uh, survival, you know, um, uh, sometimes literally. Um, you know, I, I often talk about the one of the key things that we have that that stand in the way that that cause burnout and and stand in the way of people really being successful um, in their organizations are these um, vestigial structures, as I call them. So I'm a flunked out bio student before I switched to business and psychology where where I've I've found a place where I love. But physics, uh, organic chemistry, that was that was not for me. Uh, But while stumbling through my career in biology early on as a student, what I found was um, anatomy and physiology uh, talks a ton about vestigial structures, right? And these are these structures. So our wisdom teeth are one of these, right? They, they exist and all they do for us, they give us literally headaches, large dental bills and surgery that's not fun. So why do we have, why do we have them? Because they used to be beneficial, our wisdom teeth, when we used to use them in different ways, et cetera, and our skull was a different size and whatever. Um, Now they're just painful. And within business, we have these vestigial structures. We have so many things, either in our written policy or our cultural norms that exist because at some point it made sense, like telework. At some point, telework could not be a thing because we didn't have the internet. We didn't have um, we didn't have Zoom or any of these other things. We didn't have um, uh, any Slack. We didn't have any of these types of things where we could communicate so easily and work from home or the beach or whatever. So now when people say, no, 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 we don't do telework, it's like, why? Why not, right? And sometimes there's a good reason, but more often it's because, oh, we've never done that. We've never done that because it's never been possible. But now in this time in history, it is possible and many companies have found during Corona that it's not only possible, but as the research has shown us for a long time, people are more engaged and more productive when they work from home. So why have we doing, been doing it? But this is all to say that I always argue that um, I think that with with the amount of managers, um, specifically managers that I've that I've spoken to over the years um, behind closed doors, what I what I find is I get deep and learn that. Uh, deep down, I think that many of them are scared that their job is a vestigial structure. Um, that if management now is not about command and control, and instead it's about um, putting the spotlight on you, and it's about giving you control and autonomy and decision authority and whatever, then in the back of their head, they're saying, then why am I here? And it's a scary proposition. And so they push back at it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously... Like we talked about briefly before this, the uh, the upside of a global pandemic is is accelerating everybody's technology. Right. Um, but I don't know. It just it's it amazes me because like I'm looking at it from the opposite perspective. You know, we've got a team of nine here, and I'm trying to get more engagement from everybody, not in their job, but in like in problem solving. Mm-hmm. You know, so like when somebody comes across a problem, 
we want to get together as a team to fix it and or to stop it and fix it from happening again. And so it's interesting to hear that in these larger businesses, everybody's more concerned about being essential than fixing a problem or making everything run smoother. But yeah. I guess that's the uh, I guess that's the difference in culture and the difference in size and balance there. Absolutely, and it's also the difference in terms of so you're where this is the you founded this law firm, right? Yeah, well, my so, wife and I. So, right, so, so really, her. Okay, I I gotcha. But you married into it, so that's cool. So, <laughs> but you're but you're a founder. So what often happens? What what we often see is that the Peter principle where people are are promoted to their level of incompetence, right? So we take the top uh, salesperson and we make them a sales manager uh, because they're the top salesperson. And we never stop to think, wait, what if the best salesperson is such a great salesperson because they're um, aggressive and selfish and they go out there and they, and they fight for every dollar, et cetera, whatever. And what if a good sales manager is the opposite of that. What if a good sales manager is somebody who's collaborative and helpful and a team player and whatever? So, but because the salesperson is maxed out and doing amazing and our star player, we just take that salesperson and make them the sales manager. And now we've screwed ourselves twice because we just lost our, our best salesperson and gained our crappiest sales manager all in one fell swoop. So, um, when that happens, um, we're really we're really not understanding um, what we're promoting into. But even more so, that person who knew that they were promoted because they were a star, they continue to think that they have to be a star. They have to be in the spotlight to make a difference. In reality, uh, their job now is to control the spotlight, to make everybody around them look like stars. Um, but there, there's some there's some real insecurity there because when I do that. Now I'm out of the spotlight. My people are looking good. They're going to skip over me or they're going to take my position. Um, if a culture is built right, we understand that when people around you are succeeding, that has a lot to do with you. Um, when cultures are not so healthy, we look for the stars and we're blinded by that. And then that person is right. And they should be throwing obstacles in front of the people that work for them even because that they need to look better than everybody else. Um, so it's all about the culture. So what are a couple things that, so a business owner listening, to, listening, what are something they can put in place today or this week, you know, maybe two or three things that they can work towards to help build a better culture, avoid this burnout, make sure they're getting the right people. I mean, obviously a lot of this is bringing in an expert. A lot of this is, you know, doing it over and over again and finding what works, but what are some, of those, you know, quick hitters that can make a difference in the short term. Yeah. So some things that, that people could do. One of my favorite models when talking about burnout is the demand control support model. And what this argues is that when demand goes up, a sense of control goes down um, and uh, support goes down. That's when you're, you know, on a collision course with burnout. And so we can reverse engineer this and understand that business owners should be decreasing demand. They should be doing everything they can to support their people. When in fact, what we often do is throw up like these vestigial structures, we throw up barriers and that's not necessary. In fact, we should be doing the opposite and lowering every barrier that we can. So one of the things, um, especially during this Corona time, uh, I'm suggesting to business owners to go through 
um, their all, all of their policies and start asking themselves, does this belong here? Is this standing in the way of people doing the job that they're here to do? Um, the control part is what we talked about. Give people autonomy, reach out to them, let their voices be heard, make them feel like they're part of the decision-making process. Um, and the third thing is support. And that comes from emotional support. And it also comes from tactile uh, support to actually be out there and help them um, uh, accomplish accomplish their job and do their work, uh, but also to be there and, and listen to them. I, I saw um, one person uh, gave this gave this talk on how um, they uh, what did she say? She said she said, you know, in my organization, people need to come to me with solutions, not problems. I don't listen to people whine. Listen to people whine. Sometimes people just need to vent and know that you've got their back and that you can hear them. So I understand it might be counterproductive and or or slow down productivity or whatever. And I understand that we're all about productivity, et cetera. Your people are going to be a lot more productive and 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 also they are going to be a lot more dedicated and engaged to the organization and to you as their boss if they feel like you can support them. Of course, take that and then give them solutions when appropriate. But sometimes people don't want solutions. Sometimes they just want to be heard. So those are three three elements where you can tackle this um, to start seeing. And some I really change. hope that person. I really hope that person complaining about people coming to the problems wasn't like the HR director or something. This was this was the business owner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. That's yeah. Maybe a little little bit better. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. Right. So. With that, um, I mean, let's do contact information one more time and then I'll, and then we'll wrap up from there. So we've got illuminatepmc.com. Uh, I know you mentioned following you on LinkedIn, David Shar, S-H-A-R. What other uh, contact information do you want to give or is it just all, just get the website has the rest of it? Yeah, website's got my, uh, you can email me directly. You can call me directly. All that's right on the website. There's also like a contact form. And please come milk me for all the free advice you can get. And then, uh, you know, I'm always looking to, like I said, it's my personal mission um, to make the work, working world a better place and change the face of work. And, and that's for employers, uh, managers, and employees. Um, but I, but my clients are always the employer or manager, not employees. However, I'm I'm always um, available to talk to anybody who needs some who needs some advice. And then only if it makes sense, then we can talk about an engagement. But uh, but I'm not, you know, first and foremost, I'm here to help. All right. So then, before I let you go, anything else that you want to share with our business owner listeners here? Yeah, it's my birthday. <laughs> yeah. Ha happy uh, happy birthday. Thank you. I really thought you were going to sing, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, if, if you've heard me sing, you would prefer that I go. So <laughs> I believe we, uh, we did that once on Google Hangout and it was terrible. I believe it. No, the, the one thing that I would share above everything else is that, um, you know, a few weeks ago, I was telling people that this is an extremely unique um, time and such an important time to be in touch with your employees and making sure they're okay and and working with them and trying to um, uh, remove as many barriers as possible. Um, since then, we've had um, the entire culture of our country has begun to shift after the, the death of George Floyd. And I can tell you um, through many uh, personal conversations I've had um, with um, black and brown colleagues, um, many people are literally experiencing trauma right now. Um, and it doesn't matter where you fall uh, in your politics or anything like that. 
Um, if you want to be successful in business and, and a good person, you need to accept that um, beyond being a political issue, this is an issue of, of real trauma. Um, and, and you should be checking in with your employees and being there for them. All right. I love it. I know we, uh, I feel like during Corona, we just kept getting all these stories about spending that extra time with loved ones and, yeah. you know, giving everybody a hug. And then obviously with, with all the stuff going on now with, you know, on, un, unfortunately with so much of what's going on now, not being new based right. upon a, you know, lack of right. change or lack of anything being different in the past. So I'm, uh, I'm hopeful that the light at the end of the tunnel isn't an oncoming train that will get through coronavirus, that some, some real positive change will come out of everything going on right now. Yeah. And, uh, but for now, from what we can control, helping our business owners have a little bit more engagement and less burnout among the employees. And a lot of that just kind of goes back to genuinely caring and actively listening to people. So I just I love that it's, it can be that simple if done right. Yes, yes. And be, be authentic with it. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us, especially on your birthday. Thank you. It's so cool that you, uh, you shared some time <laughs> with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.